This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome back to the WOMED. I hope y'all loved last week with Claire. Such a delightful human. I am still so excited for this season. Patreon is happening. The necklaces are here this week. What do you think? Shoot me a DM. Make sure to check out unlocked.com and get your WOMED and female empowerment necklaces. I am so proud of these guys. I want everyone who wears one to remind themselves of what the female energy means to them because it's different for everyone. Don't forget to sign up for Patreon. If you're tired of my voice talking about ads or you have other questions for me about the NICU world, aesthetics, boards, starting a podcast, anything, I'm available to you on there as well and ad-free episodes. Again, it's a subscription-based platform, but it helps to keep this podcast going and bringing you the content that you want. This week, I'm speaking with my old coworker who left the NICU to get her FNP. Shamika Davis is a phenomenal human. Also, feel free to DM me with more adjectives to describe the awesome women that I interview here. I cannot wait for y'all to listen, but first, some NDE for ya. This week for Nurse Day Energy, I could not pick just one NDE moment. I had at least three people message me about landing their dream job. This is so exciting. There's so many avenues in medicine, specifically as nurses, to pursue and try. Try and learn. Try and learn. And try and learn again. I don't like to look at anything as failing. You don't try and fail something. You try and you learn. I'm so excited and so happy for all of you trying and learning out there. Now let's dig into this week's episode. Shamika, my old friend, welcome to the WOMED. I'm so excited. Thank you, thank you. So Shamika and I used to work in the NICU together. And let's just start there. What made you decide on NICU? So I've always had a passion to take care of, you know, tiny babies. I thought I wanted to be a labor and delivery nurse, but turns out I don't too much care for the laboring mother. I just love when the baby came out. So, <laughs> um, and I know you get to spend more time with the babies when they're in the NICU because they're sick and stay them longer. So, um, yeah, I just probably just, I've always loved babies. So that's how I got to the NICU. Plus my um, younger brother, he's now 16. He was the NICU baby. So that kind of opened up my eyes. I did not know that. Yeah, it kind of opened up my eyes to the NICU world. And he had like a bowel obstruction when he was born. So he has to have uh, surgery like the day after he was born. So hmm. he was one of our surgery cases way back when at our own job. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> so you never worked anywhere else. You just came straight to NICU. Oh, no. I, I worked at a, on a, polio, a colorectal surgery floor. Oh. We took care of patients. Yeah, I took care of patients with ostomies and patients that have had, you know, just any kind of bowel resections or if they had bariatric surgeries. So that's where I started. I got my hands, like, really dirty uh, on that floor. <laughs> no that pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> Dealt with a lot of poop and ostomies. Uh, changing an adult ostomy is a true art. You think so more than a NICU ostomy? Oh, yes. 
because the adult ostomies, they're like actively pouring out while you're trying to change the bag. There's no stopping. So you have to be really, really fast. (laughs) (laughs) You you know how you have to get it ready and stuff. But yeah, I did a lot of that. I don't know. I I would I would think a NICU one would be harder. Even like the NICU uh, ileostomies, because you know those baby hands are going everywhere. And... You're you're right. At least theirs are a lot cuter. They have a little cute stoma. These I know. Are huge. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes, yeah. Sometimes prolapse, and you know it can be intimidating trying to get the thing on right. So, but yeah, I had a lot of fun. That's kind of how I you know ended up. I guess I learned so much on that floor. Yeah. That's how I ended up going back to adults. You know, a lot of people ask, like, how in the world did you leave the NICU? Like, you had the best job. And, you know, and I'm like, you know, <laughs> I, my heart, you know, my heart was just, I mean, I learned so much from my very first job. Mm-hmm. And I knew I wanted to go back to school. I knew I wanted a regular schedule, like a Monday through Friday. So I knew I'd have to kind of work in a clinic setting and, um, I, you know, I knew that I was going to have to say bye to the babies eventually. So I ended up, you know, going to school um, and I became a family nurse practitioner and that's kind of led me to where I'm at now. Which is? Oncology. (laughs) (laughs) Oncology. Um, I am, it's an adult uh, position. So I work with mainly adults in the outpatient setting. Mm -hmm. I typically work with um, patients that have GI cancers. So you know, anywhere in the GI tract, all the way from the, the top the esophagus, all the way down to um, the rectum. So I get a lot of sick patients, and it wasn't what I thought, I guess, is what I thought when I first started. I thought that I was going to see more cases where we could cure people's cancers, but I didn't realize that a lot of my patients that I was coming into contact with, you know, their cancer was terminal. And so I had to deal with the reality of, you know, learning how to deal with death and dying. And, you know, it's a little mm-hmm. different, you know, from the NICU. You have to yeah. comfort parents. These people, you have to comfort them. You have to comfort their loved ones. And, you know, they're counting on us as, you know, providers to give them that extra time and give them that quality time. And, you know, just they put so much trust in us. It's just, it's absolutely insane. But, yeah, that's essentially what... Um, I'm doing right now. And did you say you're in the clinic or in, in the hospital, like on a hospital floor? It's in the clinic. Okay. Pretty much I have uh, my own schedule. I feel so important now. Um, I <laughs> you are so, so important. I can, <laughs> I can see patients, probably a little bit over 10 patients a day. And they come through our cancer clinic. They get lab work. Then I see them in the clinic. And from there, I you know, evaluate their lab. I do a physical assessment, pretty much go over symptom management and things like that. And then I make sure they're safe for chemo and I sign chemo orders. You know, then they head up to our infusion suite and actually receive their chemo. So that's kind of what my day looks like. You know, I make a lot of, make a lot of decisions. (laughs) Uh, I interpret a lot of lab values. I'm going to tell you, going from baby lab values and baby vital signs to adult uh, lab it's a whole other world. Very, whole other world. I think you'd find this funny. I had a patient that they paged me in the infusion suite. They were, they were, the patient was having an infusion reaction to one of the chemotherapies they were getting. <laughs> I go up there. Of course, he has a mask on, like a non-rebreather mask. And I was like, hey, 
you know, how many leaders is he on? And they were like, oh, he's on, you know, how many other leaders? And I was like, what's his oxygen concentration? And I'm just like, well, gosh, it's 100%. Like, they're not <laughs> concentrated oxygen like our babies were. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, Lord, who am I? Like, what am I doing? Like, who called me? Who thought I should be in charge? But <laughs> it's funny, but my patient turned out okay. Um, and those, you know, skills and things I learned in the NICU, of course, come back to the forefront, like when you're dealing with adults as well. I mean, it's the same yeah. thing. You know, airway, breathing, you know, you have to make sure those things are, are there. But mm-hmm. definitely a lot different. Well, I thought you were going to say something along the lines of having to go up there and like restart his IV or something because, you know, being a NICU nurse, <laughs> we're called everywhere. <laughs> I know. No one's asked me to start an IV. Shockingly, I actually missed the opportunity to place a Foley catheter in a patient with a clinic. And I was very sad about that. I do actually miss doing those skills, you know, yeah. as a nurse practitioner. Yeah, as a nurse practitioner, you know, in oncology, you know, my biggest skill is using my brain. Like, I have to make decisions. Like, I have yeah. to educate my patients on what they're getting and what they're going through. And I write a lot of prescriptions, you know. So I have to make sure I'm writing the prescription correctly and getting it to the right pharmacy and just things like that. And so I do miss that hands-on element that I got from the bedside. But, yeah. you know, I, I love my schedules. Monday through Friday, you know, I have time to do whatever I want on weekends and I'm home by five, you know, every day is really nice, honestly. That's what that's what I wanted for myself eventually, long term. Yeah. Well, I yeah. think that's amazing. You know, I'm kind of thinking about, you know, different career paths again, I know. And <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's like I don't like I miss that patient care. But I yeah. don't, I, I couldn't go back to working full-time nights. Like I, I just, yeah. I, my body would give way and I, I just don't want to imagine a night shift. No, <laughs> not anymore. I used to be hardcore ner- like night shift zombie, you know, all about it. And yeah. it's just so true. You don't know how terrible you felt until, uh, you acclimate to days. <laughs> <laughs> I know it was very hard transitioning today, but you know. You know, it's gotten better with time, but yeah. yeah, there's nothing like you know. We used to have some fun on night shift. We did, we did. Mm-hmm. So we got a lot of work done, and you know, it was like a lot of people around. And I sir, <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it. Yeah. I enjoyed night so much. This episode of the WOMED is brought to you by BetterHelp, arguably my favorite sponsor because they take the excuses out of seeking therapy or counseling. Your mental health doesn't let up. Your brain never stops working and processing and compartmentalizing. It's tired and it needs support. BetterHelp is a space where you can speak to a licensed professional counselor from the comfort, privacy, and safety of your own home. Remember, this is not a crisis line. This is a space where you can call, text, email, or video chat with your counselor to take care of your mental health. Their counselors specialize in everything from depression and anxiety to relationships, family issues and trauma or LGBTQ matters. They have someone for everyone. Don't put your happiness and mental health on the back burner anymore. You deserve to live a happy, healthy life. BetterHelp is often more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is also available. I want you to start living a happier life today. 
As a listener, you will get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash WOMED. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash WOMED. Well, I have so many questions, and I think one of like the biggest ones you you touched on is the whole death and dying aspect of taking care of terminal patients. Like, I mean, like, obviously we've taken care of dying patients in the NICU and, you know, Mm -hmm. but like, like you said, how do you transfer that and support the actual person, the cognizant person that's actually passing away, you know, or or like living with this terminal disease? And protect yourself in that. Right. It is very, very, very difficult. I'm not going to lie. It's something that I have to work with and I have to learn. You know, when I first started, I guess I just didn't realize how many people we could lose. You know, I, mm-hmm. I was just oblivious. I, like, I had no idea. I thought that, you know, we can cut their cancer out and it'll all be fine, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and even then, you know, a lot of um, folks with cancer would come back. And so... I used to think, like, gosh, these oncologists are crazy. Like, how do they deal with these people dying? It's so sad. You know, eventually I had to just look at look at it from a different point of view. I had to look at it as, like, okay, these people, they are in their last days. And I'm a big part of their last days. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm going to try to provide the best care I can to give them the best quality of life for whatever time they do have left. And, you know, that's important. You know, I've, I've, I've seen patients and, you know, I've put them in the hospital and, you know, never saw them. They might yeah. die or we've had to send them home on hospice. It's very difficult to look at somebody in their face and tell them, like, hey, you know, it's, it's not good. You know, your, your lab work doesn't look good today. Your pain is worse because your, you know, your cancer is progressing or, you know, just it's very hard to do that. But you have to be upfront and honest. Mm-hmm. I had to learn, you know not to give patients false hope, you know? Yeah. Oh, that'd be so tough. Yeah. You don't want to steal their joy, but at the same time, you have to tell them what's going on at all times, how sick they are. It also is kind of scary when they come to a crossroad where they, you know, first-line therapy, second-line therapy, you know, or running out of ideas, Um, specifically just like with my pancreatic cancer patients. There's not many drug options out there for my patients. It's, It's just not. Yeah. Those patients tend to um, come to us very sick, like too late. Like I would say like late in their diagnosis to the point where their cancer has metastasized or, you know, it's in more than one spot um, in their pancreas. And, you know, we just don't have many options. Why do you think that is with pancreatic cancer that the people, is it just not diagnosed very early or? Oh, yeah, it's not. So, you know, I've, I've had patients to you know, say, look, I've just had back pain for the last six months. I didn't know that I had, you know, pancreatic cancer or, you wow. know, they've lost weight or, you know, it's literally somebody has to go in and do a CT scan. They have to see it. You know, there's no special test. There's, you know, there's nothing that, you know, we can like just say we're going to prevent it, you know, and especially, um, with my younger patients, you know, I'm seeing patients in their 40s with pancreatic cancer. I, I, I like to say, like, I see, you know, young patients with old people cancer, you know, because you think about, you know, you get older and you think, oh, you know, the 
the older people are, you know, what am I seeing is clinic with these type of diseases and, you know, but I'm seeing younger people and, you know, when they run out of options, I have to just tell them like, Hey, you know, maybe we can try this clinical trial and, you know, with clinical trials, you know, there, it's not always a guarantee mm-hmm. depending on what phase the trial is in, um, you know, they're, they're developing new drugs, they're developing trying to come up with, you know, different therapies that you know, could potentially, you know, make it into the guidelines and, you know, things like that. And so, you know, I, I, I just, I just have to talk to them and be, you know, really realistic and, you know, just try to make the best of, you know, the time that they have left. Um, but that also made me want to think about uh, talking about young adults in general. Um, I didn't realize how many 20 and 30 year olds I see. Like I see patients that are my age. And it was heartbreaking. I didn't realize that, you know, specifically with colon cancer and rectal cancer, like I had no idea that's something I could potentially get at my age, you know, in your 30s. And I see these patients and, you know, they're coming in with, you know, a terrible cancer. And most of the time it's, you know, too far gone. Like it's, it's spread. I find that most of the time when a young person goes to the doctor, if they're having stomach pain or, you know, things like that. That's, not, that's never what your primary care doctor is going to think is what's wrong with you. Like, they're never yeah. going to say, oh, you have cancer. They're not going to look for it. Mm-hmm. You might go to a GI doctor. You know, someone might just diagnose you with your bowel or they might throw a few medications at it. They don't realize that it's really cancer. Um, mm-hmm. So I would encourage anybody, any young adult, anyone um, to just, if you're having pain, that's not normal. If you're having changes in your stool, that's not normal. Um, if you have blood in your stool, that's not normal. I mean, just like with women, I don't deal with breast cancer, but, you know, mm-hmm. young women need to start, you know, doing their breast exam early, at least to sell breast exams early. Um, yeah. And don't let anyone tell you no. Like, you know, you know your body more than anybody else. So, you know, you really have to go in and just, you know, just, just keep trying to let the doctors know, like, look, there's something wrong, there's something wrong. A push for a scan, you know, push push for a scan because a lot of times you can see um, those cancers in a CT scan, mm-hmm. not really x-rays, but a CT scan. Mm-hmm. And um, because, you know, like the standard, like you don't get a colonoscopy until you're 50. Really? I thought it was 40. It could it's be 45. Not... No, okay. 40 is like the mammograms. It's, it's really, yeah. some, some insurance companies will allow you to do it at 45. Oh, and so, man. you know, these 30-somethings, we didn't, they, they're not, you know, they're not going to get colonoscopies for fun. Like, no. insurance wouldn't even pay for it. They no. wouldn't even pay for it. Unless, it. unless it's, like, ordered. Yeah. Right. Um, and there has to be a legitimate reason that you're, you know, going to look for it. So, I just wish young people would not let someone tell them that they're fine when they know mm-hmm. deep down that they're not. You know, because... Some of these cancers, and we could try to cure them, you know, if we get to them quick enough, if it, yeah. you know, kind of localized to the area that it's in. But, you know, we're seeing them with metastatic disease. And, you know, that's just disease that's gone place. Just say if they have colon cancer, it can go to their liver. Um, mm-hmm. It can go to their lung. You know, it, it's really sad. And you can't just say, hey, I'm going to see you surgery. And we're going to cut all of this out. Like, it's not realistic. We're never going to get every drop of the cancer out once it's spread. So pretty much the only thing we offer them is out of chemotherapy. And we just have to tell them like, hey, you're going to be on chemotherapy for the rest of your life. 
or wow. you can die from your cancer. And so that's why I'm really passionate, you know, about just telling mm-hmm. young people, like, go to the doctor, you know, do you have a PCP, yeah. you know, <laughs> do you have someone that's at least checking your lab? Um, sometimes you can check it on your lab work, you know, your CDC, you can have a, uh, like anemia and, you know, it's not always just, oh, I don't get enough iron. Like it really could be an underlying issue as to why, you know, you might have a low red count and, you know, and so I just, it's, that's probably one of the toughest part of my job dealing with the young adults because they haven't lived. Um, yeah. They're in the, in their, in their prime, you know, they're in their prime and they've been, um, hit with this terrible diagnosis and you know that's what's really tough well I can't imagine I mean but also thinking of it from the aspect of you know not trying to create like a sense of panic you know I mean like not every stomach ache is cancer right right but right like you said like your own self is most in tune with your body so Mm -hmm. what again are like the major things you would say to look out for that, you know, your patients come in, um, like your colon cancer patients that, you know, how did it, how did it start for them? Um, most of them notice blood in their stool or they had blood or like tarry stool. Okay. It could be both depending on where it's at in the colon. They would, you know, have some type of bleeding. Um, they might have that unexplained, like, weight loss just you know mm-hmm. pain pain is you know something that can happen as well um but you know some people especially if you have blood in your stool they might chalk it up to, oh you know just a hemorrhoid or i was strained or constipated nothing. and then it happens again they brush it off you know it's just it's never normal to have blood in your stool and yeah. so um uh, those are the kind of the things that i do um, see with my patients but there's some good signs to oncology. I mean, we do cure some people, you know, mm-hmm. you can cure their cancer, especially if it's uh, pretty localized. And a lot of the times what we'll do, um, a patient will meet with surgical oncologist. Um, they can meet with a radiation oncologist if their cancer you know, is uh, amenable to like radiation. Um, and they meet with medical oncology, which is my side of things. And, you know, in medical oncology, we offer them chemo. Uh, we could do what we call neoadjuvant therapy, which is just like chemo prior to surgery. Um, mm-hmm. For just say rectal cancer patients, they'll have a round of chemo. Then they'll have chemo radiation, where they'll do like an oral chemo as well as uh, a uh, like with the radiation. And then after that, sometimes we send them to surgery, and you know we just see them in follow up. And yeah, just, you know they're going through surveillance, and we see them, and it and it's great, and you know. We have those good stories, you know, but it's if we can catch it early. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the most important thing is catching it early um, and not just dismissing symptoms that you know that's not normal. You have to yeah. just try to, you know, make sure you go to the doctor. Don't ignore your body. You only get one. Um, you have to really be in tune with it and give it what it needs and make sure, you know, something's off. You tell your doctor about it. Mm-hmm. So that's what's very important, especially in my cancers. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that. You, I mean, you don't, people always hear you only get one life, you know, live it the best, but it's like, you really only get one body. Yeah, you do. It goes through a lot. <laughs> you get one body. 
and <laughs> you know you get one body that, mm-hmm. that's just period but you know some of my 80 year olds come in and they're just sharp as ever you know they had a life where they worked their whole lives and you know their whole lives and you know I, I've given 80 80 year olds you know, chemo you know mm-hmm. just because you're 80 if you're in good shape and good health you know we can give you chemo we can take you to yeah. surgery we can still cure your cancer it's not always a death sentence you know some people automatically think oh gosh you have cancer it's a death sentence. you know for some people it might be but not always um but it's, it's very important to try to take care of yourself and you know as far as cancer in general we don't know what causes you know, you mm-hmm. haven't found a cure for it. You know, I don't know why there's so many young adults that are getting, you know, old people cancers. I don't know if it's in the food that we eat um, or, mm-hmm. you know, are we just more sedentary? But I don't know. The young folks that I see, they're young, they're fit, they've been working out, they're healthy. You'd never mm-hmm. think that something like cancer would come in rock and roll. You just would everything. Um, so, yeah, just, just have to listen to your body and take care of it as best you can. And advocate for it. And advocate for it. You got that right. Advocate. Don't ever let somebody tell you, oh, it's nothing. When you know deep down it is. Out, you have to be your biggest advocate, period, mm-hmm. hands down. Um, that's one of the most important things, you know, when you're navigating through life. You have to take care of yourself. Yeah. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com. We make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. So I want to backpedal a little bit. How did you decide on oncology? Is there like extra training you had to go through during your F and P program um, to specialize? No, not at all. Yeah, no, not at all. Um, you know, I'm in the outpatient setting. I mean, they have mm-hmm. nurse practitioners with acute care, um, mm-hmm. acute care nurse practitioners that can work inpatient. But being an F and P, I'm I'm just working in the out. You know, I'm working in the outpatient setting. Um, I can write. I can write for patients to have blood, um, order tests, all the things. And so I didn't have to do anything special. Um, I will say it's a huge learning curve mm-hmm. to go um, into oncology, especially for a baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had to, yeah, I had to learn a lot. Just learning chemotherapy, learning the names. You know, I have weird names. Just learning, you know, all the different cancers and, you know, side effect management and things like that. It was a lot of on-the-job training. Mm-hmm. I definitely, uh, there's always like continuum education and stuff online. Um, yeah, you can become certified and be like a, I guess, the critical care RN. Mm-hmm. You can do stuff like that for like, uh, as a nurse practitioner. You can get certification. Oh. Um, you usually have to like have, you know, so many hours of actually practicing as a nurse practitioner in oncology. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, you have to like have continuing education hours, but you know you can get an oncology certification as well. Um, some people do go to school and specifically go to school to be an oncology nurse practitioner. But for me, I'm plain old F and P. Like I can do whatever. Um, that's another reason why I went to school for it to be an F and P because you know I if this becomes too much for me, 
I, I can go somewhere else. I can just go and click a few buttons and see patients in and out in five minutes at like a walk-in clinic. You know, I can, there's so many things you can do, you know, being a yeah. family nurse practitioner. I'm not limited at all. So I do love that. That's awesome. I mean, I think that just kind of goes to show just the diversity in in nursing and nurse practitioners is that oh, yeah. like there is such I mean, yes, there's a lot of on the job like learning no matter which field you switch into, but like as long as you have that nursing degree, that NP degree, you know, there's yeah. there's different areas that you can you can transition to. Yeah, that's what I love about my role. Yeah. Is that the same as like an NNP, like could they switch and go and work somewhere else? Or since that's such a specialized track, I mean. Yeah. So NNPs, they would have to stay with, you know, neonatology. They have to always work with babies. Mm-hmm. Um, just like I couldn't use my SNP certification and go work in um, the NICU as a neonatal nurse practitioner. Right. Um, I would obviously have to take courses and get a postmaster certificate, you know, in neonatology nursing but you know that there's some things I can't do but there are a lot of things I can't do um but you know NMP you got to know that that's what you want to do for the rest of your life because that's yeah all you can do like a baby um mm-hmm. you know unless you want to go back to school and do something different so I didn't want to be that narrow um mm-hmm. I wanted to give myself some grace and you know uh you know each job I mean I feel like God's led me to each place I've ever worked and so um you know, I, I don't know what's next for me. You know, it could be oncology forever, but I won't be mm-hmm. limited because I chose to be a family nurse practitioner. Yeah. I, that's a great way to look at it. How long have mm-hmm. you been in oncology then? Um, About a year and a half. It has okay. been a long year and a half. <laughs> I've gone is... so much. Oh, my God. I bet. What I mean, yeah. Just the sheer amount of, you know, staying on top of everything, you know, staying on top of the clinical trials, knowing what you can offer mm-hmm. your patients. That's mm-hmm. just, it gives me a little anxiety. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I know. I have like, you know, it's, 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 it's a lot. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, it's so much sometimes when I, you know, leave words, I'm like, oh, it's a great day. Or I suck today. Like, <laughs> you know, sometimes <laughs> it's just like, you know, you just, like, who would let me take care of them? You know, <laughs> who would trust me to go through, you know, why would they want to pick me to like help them in their final days? And, you know, it's kind of crazy, but you know, it's, it's Isn't that self-talk? Important. Oh God, that self-talk can be, can make or break your day. <laughs> it can. It really can. But, you know, I, I've learned so much. I've come so far. I've definitely had to grow into this role. Mm-hmm. Um, I, um, you know, and also having a, a job where you have a lot of dying and just really sick patients, you know, mm-hmm. as a nurse practitioner, you have to learn to take care of yourself as well. Yes. When I first started, I, it was just work, 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 work. Like, I was mm-hmm. just engulfed in work. I didn't have a hobby. I didn't have anything. I just, you know, I was just so focused on my job. And, you know, I suffered a little bit in the beginning, you know. I had to mm-hmm. take care of my mental health. I had to make sure that, you know, I was taking care of Shemika. I had to make sure that, you know, I had other things and outlets and things to kind of get through. Uh, and that's the biggest important part, you know, about being, uh, you know, nurse practitioner working with patients like this. Like, you have mm-hmm. to you have to take a step back and make sure that you're taking care of yourself. Because if you're no good, you know, what good are you going to be for your patient? 
So, um, no. I love you for saying that. <laughs> yeah. It's like a lot of, um, you know, growing things. Like I had to learn that. There's, it's nothing that, you know, taught. Um, well, I know I need to take care of myself. But, you know, sometimes when you're in the moment, you just don't think about it. Mm-hmm. Well, we're, we're, we're caregivers, we're nurturers. We want to take care of everybody else. And sometimes it's so easy for us to forget about ourselves. You know, they say nurses. Well, I think nurses are the worst patients. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll no, it's it's care, true. You know, we, yeah, we take care of everybody else but ourselves. But, you know, in my, my field and my job, I, I, I learned quick. I had to take care of myself as well. What did that look like for you? I'd be really transparent. You know, I... You know, had to start, you know, working on my mental health and, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that meant going to my doctor and say, hey, I, I'm struggling a little bit. You know, it is very hard for me to go to work and not want to cry with my patient. I can't cry in every room I go. You know, yeah. I have to be strong for my patients. You know, I have to be confident. I have to be strong. Um, and, I, you know, I struggled with that in the beginning. It was just so hard. So, you know, it was just a conversation with my doctor. And, you know, of course, we talked about medication options. We talked about um, one of therapy. Um, we talked about, you know, just making sure that I'm you know, doing things at home, like relaxing, yoga, meditation, um, you know, just getting a massage, you know, just something that was going to make me feel better. Um, mm-hmm. Just things like that. Like, I, I had to really take a step back and just say, hey, I'm, I'm in trouble. <laughs> like I'm, I'm struggling, you know, I'm not going to lie, yeah. you know, um, and that's being so realistic. And, you know, I have my day, you know, I do, but you know, I'm, I, I, I would never, I would never, um, I guess allow that to affect my patient care. You know, yeah. I still am going to take care of my patients first. And so, yeah, it's just something that you have to just, you know, take the reins of and, you know, at least try to you know work on yourself. Well, thank you for being so transparent because oh, yeah. a lot of a lot of us, you know, I mean, I can say it only like so many times, but you know, like on the podcast, but as soon as someone hears someone else say something, they're like, "Oh, yeah, you know, now it clicks." You know, mm-hmm. so I just really appreciate you being so open and vulnerable and being able to share that because yeah, honestly, you just don't know who who's listening and who's going to really resonate with that and be like, oh, okay, you know what, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe I do need to go and, you know, talk to my doctor about yeah. some options because I mean, mental health is healthcare and we do not focus on that it enough. It's a part of your body. Yeah. <laughs> that one body you get, you know, that one brain yeah. that you have to have for the rest of your life. You have to make sure everything's in tune and check. So yeah, yeah, you have to. It's being super realistic. Do you offer anything um, for your patients as far as mental health? Oh, yes. Um, so we, um, obviously my patients, you know, they, they're going through so much, you know. You know, there's going to be issues with, uh, you know, depression, anxiety, mm-hmm. um, due to their new, you know, their new diagnosis or, you know, the diagnosis they've had for several years and just, you know, living with cancer, it, you know, not easy. So I do like to talk to my patient about uh, medication options. Uh, we can offer them things. Um, we also have uh, behavioral health uh, professionals that we can uh, kind of 
uh, refer them to so that they can, you know, talk to somebody. Like I had a patient one day, she was like, you know, I've done therapy, like I've, I've done it. She's like, but I need to talk to someone that deals with terminal patients. I need someone to know exactly what I'm going through, what I'm feeling. Like this is not a, you know, I'm struggling because I don't like this or that, or I'm having trouble in my relationship. Like I'm dying and I need somebody to talk to me that knows about dying, you know, and know know how to kind of help me through it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we kind of offer those services, you know, and we have have an amazing, amazing social worker that I work with. Um, She can give them resources that they can use, you know, close to their community, um, support group. You know, everybody has, I mean, their thing, you know, whether that's a Facebook group or group therapy, personal mm-hmm. therapy, you know, we can just offer whatever. Um, I even offer massage therapy today, you know, <laughs> Heck, <laughs> that was yeah. thing. so mm-hmm. exactly. And so, you know, there's all types of things that we can offer our patients when they're not doing well. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So for... The nurse thinking about going for um, an advanced degree in nursing, um, how would you sell them on the FNP route? Okay. So, you know, first of all, you have to understand the role. You know, as an RN, you go and you listen to what everybody else tells you to do and you do that. As an FNP, you have to have that desire to want to be in control and be able to make decisions and, you know, uh, I guess just advance your uh, education. You know, it, you know, I feel like I'm so much smarter than I used to be. <laughs> I've had to grow and learn, you know, I had to learn so much stuff, but you know, I, you know, it's rewarding. Um, you can work pretty much anywhere. You can work in a walk-in clinic, a minute clinic, um, urgent care, you can work in primary care rural areas, you know, inner cities. I mean, the options are just endless. Most FMP positions, you know, are like, the schedule's really nice. You know, my place, we're closed on Christmas. That's important to me, you know. We're closed yeah. on major holidays, and that's something that I wanted. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to have an option of having weekends off. Um, you know, I wanted a regular life. Like, I just, I didn't, you know, I hated those long shifts that, you know, we have, like, working in patient as RA. Um, mm-hmm. I just wanted, like, a normal, you know, just a normal schedule. I just wanted to feel like, you know, everybody else. And I knew one day, you know, I want to get married and have a family. And, you know, that I just, the schedule in general, just, it, it, it lined up with what I want in the long term. And so another um, thing that you can look forward to is, you know, being an SFP. Of course, you get, you get a little bit more money, mm-hmm. which is nice. <laughs> to pay those students long. <laughs> That's where it goes mainly. Um, but you know, you have, you know, difference in pay and you can actually really make a difference and help people, you know, like you're you're you feel good about yourself if you make a good decision, you know, and you, mm-hmm. you actually help people. And you know, it's like, look, you did that all yourself. You cured this sinus infection <laughs> or, or you cured whatever it could be, like you give yourself a little pat on the back. It's 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 just nice. You know, to yeah. feel, have that sense of autonomy and, you know, that sense of control. It's amazing. I love it. It's nice, too. I would think coming from, you know, the NICU background, you get to see, not that we didn't get to see, like, patients, like, survive and thrive, but I feel like mm-hmm. there's there's more, you know? Mm-hmm. The whole adrenaline of, like, these super 
acute life and death situations, crashing kids onto ECMO, bedside surgeries, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that's, that's fun, you know, but like yeah. at a certain point, <laughs> I mean, I, and most people are, if, if the lay person listened to this and be like, you think someone's desperation is fun? Like, no, um, <laughs> sorry, listen. Just where we're strong. Nurses are fucked up. I mean, we're, 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 you have to be a little spooky to be a nurse. Yeah. Definitely not normal. No, we're not normal. And saying that nurses are fucked up is, is, might come off really bad to some people, but you know, (laughs) I know what you mean. (laughs) We're, we're all a little emotionally damaged. I think like the, like some of the, I mean, we, we love to care for people, you know, we love to put ourselves Mm -hmm. in these situations to, you know, help others when, you know, we aren't getting that help ourselves. So yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. Yeah. (laughs) But sorry, circling back around, you know, like you were saying with an FMP, like you get to like treat and cure things. Yeah. And you get to see a little bit more, I guess, like immediate relief, you know, from certain Mm -hmm. people, um, no, I think I think that's great. I'm I'm so happy yeah. for you in this this yeah. path that you've decided to take. So I'm glad I made it through. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I made it through. You know, it's you know I love when people say, "Oh, you're almost a doctor." Like you know, whatever. You know, like, no, I'm a great. nurse practitioner. <laughs> but you know, like I, I I did my job. You know, I did mm-hmm. my nurse. I worked my inpatient. I did all my you know due diligence. I'm a mm-hmm. practitioner, you know. I don't want to be a doctor. A doctor can't do what I can do, you know. Right. I know what to do if I have to clean up, you know, an accident or, you know, poop or take somebody to the bathroom, you know, basic things. Let's just pause an IV, you know, pause an IV pump, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they have yeah. no idea. So it's like, yeah, I'm proud to be a practitioner. I really am. And, you know, I, I have that background as an RN, you know, which mm-hmm. made me even stronger. Um, so I do take pride in that. And it's also really cool to be able to write prescriptions. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> like, I write prescriptions, Danielle. <laughs> I think that's awesome. Write, <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, specifically in my job now in oncology, I write a lot of pain medication. A lot of pain medication. It's scary how, I'm like, if I was at like a regular schmegler job writing all these narcotics, I'd be <laughs> like for sure yeah um, but it's just it's crazy it's, it's just it's just crazy you know? well that's an interesting yeah, topic too yeah. like I mean obviously cancer is like a whole other spectrum and you know these are more mm-hmm. terminal patients so mm-hmm. you know you, you you don't want them I mean I guess like there's not as much weariness as uh, as there would be you know um to provide pain medication to someone coming off like oh, you know, I've yeah. got this chronic back pain or, you know, something like that. Right. But is there other other modalities, you know, like pain management type things that you offer? I mean, do you, I guess, yeah. can you write prescriptions for pot? Like, is that a thing? Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know, honestly. Not in Tennessee. Tennessee needs to get with it, you know. I, yeah. wish, we had, I wish we can use it for medicinal purposes. You know, I'm not going to mm-hmm. lie, my patients do it, you know. Yeah. And they get great benefit from it. But you mm-hmm. know, they have to sneak and do it. And that's that's really sad. Yeah. A lot of my patients are using C B D oil and things like that. And mm-hmm. um of course, you know, depending on what's going on, we can send them to an interventional like pain doctor and be like, 
nerve blocks and you know things like that but you know for the most mm. part you know i have to just give them pain medication you know as a nurse practitioner um you know working with oncology patients i can write at least a full month of pain medications for my patients yeah. um and then every time they you know come back i have to about a month time i have to redo the prescription reevaluate um to make sure you know it's the right you know that it's working Crazy enough, I, you know, my patients do not like to have to take pain medication. I have to talk them into it. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, I'm not the pill taking type. I, I, you know, they think just, you know, I'm, I'm going to get addicted to this, and, you know, which is a great, well, yeah. you know, it's true. It can happen. And it, it, it's a have, fear, too. It's a fear a lot of yeah. people have. Or, like, they won't be able yeah. to be as aware and with it, you know, mm-hmm. in, like, their last moments, like, with their family. Like, it's a... Yeah. That's a valid so concern. I, yeah. And I have to get a good balance, like find, you know, a, a dosage that, you know, they can still function and they can uh, still have some relief. Exactly. And that's, you know, that's a balancing act. But, you know, I have to talk to them and take them. <laughs> yeah. like, you know, you have to pain, you know, you have cancer, you know. Let me mm-hmm. show you this spot in your CT scan. This is, this is what's hurting you. Like, it's, it's in there, it's real. It's not yeah. going to go away. You know, so, you know, we have to treat it, you know, mm-hmm. if you don't control someone's pain, you know, they're going to always be tired, they're not going to want to eat, they're not going to have a, you know, good quality time with their family. They're not going to um, get the nutrition that they back. need to try and no. fight. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, we have to make sure their pain is under control. So mm-hmm. I have to do a lot of talking my patients into it, which I'm so shocked, you know. I'm really shocked at the amount of patients I have to like. It's okay to take your payment. It's okay yeah. to take it like I wrote on the bottle. It's okay to take it every four hours. And so, you know, that that's different. You know, that's a lot different than I thought it would be. Yeah. But, but it just also shows what fear there is around, you know, pain medications and stuff too. You know, mm-hmm. that, I mean, yeah. that's a completely other episode we can talk about with the oh, pain yeah. ep- epidemics. <laughs> Yep. An addiction, but... That's what my poor patients worry about. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we are closing out our time here, and I just... What's something great that happened to you today that we can leave our our listeners on? I mean, just being able to make my patients smile. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm... some people say I'm the life of the party. I'm really laid back. You are. But I can make people laugh. <laughs> you know, I can make people laugh. I mean, they can have a really crappy day and, you know, things are going bad. But, you know, I try to, I, you know, I, I find joy in being able to make my patients smile. You know, I go in yeah. the room, I'm just like, you know, how are you doing? You know, if, if, you know, just getting a response like, you know, I'm actually doing great. Like, thank you for asking me how I'm doing versus, you know, you know, all the other things that I could go into talk about that. I'm just grateful to be able to make someone with cancer smile. Yeah. Just smile. You know, I'm 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 one of those people that I'm one of the last people that they see. These people are like family. I see them every two weeks, every week sometimes. And mm-hmm. I get to know them and I you know, I I'm happy that I can build relationships with them. Um, which is nice. But I love, love, love making my patient smile and make them laugh and you know, I just love it. And I got to do that several times today. So that was nice. That's beautiful. 
You you do have a gift, though, I will say, of, of genuinely wanting to know how people are. And I think that translates. You know, I feel like you always had that, you know, in the NICU. And I have no doubt that it's it's translated, you know, into your work as an oncology nurse practitioner or family nurse uh-huh. practitioner working in oncology. So well. I'm grateful for you. I'm sure your patients are immensely grateful for you. Where where can people find you if if they're like, hey, I've got questions about being an FNP or, you know, I want to know what Shamika does. I want to know what she looks like. I want to yes. follow her. <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm not super big on social media. It's something I want to change. I love educating nurses and my patients mm-hmm. in general. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Nurse Mika. Um, Mika is spelled M-E-K-A. I'm, I'm willing to help anybody out. I'm super down to earth. I'm nice. I'm not going to charge you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm not big time yet. So um, definitely reach out to me if you have any questions. Awesome. Well, thank you, Shamika. I'm so glad we got to catch up. Yes, I miss you. <laughs> I miss you too. <laughs> thank you so much again to Shamika for taking the time to speak with me tonight. Please make sure to follow along with her on Instagram at Nurse Mika. That's M-E-K-A. Also, feel free to DM her with any questions, too. She loves to talk to people. Don't forget to share these episodes with your friends as well, especially, you know, if you have someone thinking about the FMP route in your life or nursing or, you know, any of the other positions that we talk about. Share these episodes. I want to get them out there. Also, if you have a second, please make sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you listen to The WOMED. Honestly, it helps out the podcast so much. Again, make sure to check out Unlocked. Valentine's Day is coming up. Get a necklace for you and your bestie and remind her or, or them of how strong or smart or badass that you think they are. There are two styles of necklaces to choose from or get both and layer them. They're beautiful. I'm so, so excited about them. Thank you all for the love and support. Till next week. WOMED out. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.